I'm Alicia. And I'm Ashley. And we are Murd Nerds. Hello, everyone. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. Hello. We're so glad you've stuck around with us today. But if you're new here and have no idea what is going on, maybe you found us online, maybe a friend or coworker told you to check us out, but we are a weekly true crime podcast that covers missing persons cases, mysterious deaths, and unsolved cases of true crime within our home state of Indiana. Each week, either Ashley or I research, retell, and discuss a story that we found was fascinating. Before we get into the case I've chosen for the week, we have started a fun little pre-story question segment with our producer, Jeremy. Hi, that's me. I also thought that maybe it would be fun to involve our audience as well. What do you guys think? Terrible idea. You think it's a terrible idea? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, I think it's a great idea. I think so, too. I'm, I'm kind of like middle of the road on that one. Middle of the road? We'll see what <laughs> questions we get. How about that? So if you have a question you'd like us to answer, whether it be about the show or the studio, a case we've covered, a case you'd like us to cover, or our opinions on anything, feel free to message us on social media or email us at murdnerds at gmail.com, and we'll be sure to cover it on a future episode. And we'll give you a shout out as well. So Jeremy, what's our question for this week? Oh, today's burning question. It's one that I was thinking about the other day. Since you guys have started doing the podcast mm-hmm. and researching murders and, and doing all this stuff, has this changed your perspective of what you are paying attention to while you're out in just the regular world? Away from the studio, running errands, just something catches your eye, something that you think, hmm, that's a little odd, or license plates, or even... Maybe a little paranoia in your life. Maybe you've changed things around your house. Just just kind of a broad question. How much has it changed your mindset about how you're on your daily life? You can go ahead. So for me, I've always done that. I always take note if I see, it's going to sound terrible, if I just drive by and I think someone looks sketchy, I'll be like, black baseball cap, white baseball looking t-shirt, beard. You know, blue eyes. I will do that. I do that constantly. Yes, that I exactly just described Jeremy right I had now. Blue eyes. I didn't know I had blue eyes. Oh, what color are they? I thought they were hazel, but oh, hazel <laughs> okay. blue. All blue-eyed people say their eyes are hazel. Brown-eyed um, people too. But yeah, I've always done that. I'm uh, well. Honestly, I started locking my door. I know it sounds terrible, but I would just leave my door unlocked. Yes, she would just leave her door unlocked. And when we first started recording in our apartment, I would always lock it and she'd be like, why are you locking my door? And I'm like, Ashley, do you literally want to be on an episode? Like, do you want me to cover you on an episode? Well, because my apartment, it has an out, like an exterior door and then they have to go upstairs and my dog is like yeah, she's got hyper a good dog. vigilant. Yes. And so no one's just going to like walk in. Well, I guess a criminal would. So a criminal yeah, would. I do lock my doors in. and that is a recent change that I have made. I've always been an anxious and mm-hmm. <laughs> Ashley's sitting yeah. here nodding her head. I've yeah. always been Same. a very anxious and paranoid person, like to the point where I would wake Roy up if I heard a weird noise in the house. 
I'm always locking the doors. As soon as I get in my car, I lock the doors. Um, I'm I just I've always been paranoid. It's definitely heightened as I've consumed true crime content. It's no different now than it was before we started the podcast since I've been a consumer of true crime. Mm-hmm. But I definitely like okay, we need to get a security system. We need to Same. make I sure one so bad. Like our windows are locked because I think that's something that people forget is to I mean, lock their windows. I have a security system. <laughs> Her name is Shaka. Yeah. <laughs> the reason I brought this up is I have definitely, since I've met with you girls and, and got involved in this and started actually consuming yeah, you're a, a newbie, ton so. of true, mm-hmm. uh, true crime, that I've, I've, I've noticed that I've started noticing things and yeah. looking things over mm-hmm. and remembering, oh, Okay, well, that was a white uh, Toyota Highlander that I just saw. To the point to where if a cop came and said, did you see anything suspicious yesterday? You could be like, actually, well, I did. Yeah, you know, yeah and you take it. note. Yeah. 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 So that's why that's, that was one of the, one of the questions that uh, really stood out to me that I wanted to ask you guys I about. I think that's healthy anxiety and, and smart anxiety, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, just to be aware of your surroundings. Well, and one thing that you do when you've went on dates with people that we didn't oh, know, yeah. yep. she will text us her location, take a picture of their license plate, give us a description of him or Make something. Make a model of cars. Yeah, yeah. to me, her sister, that. her mom. Yeah, so we know who she's with in case something was to go awry. Mm-hmm. And that's sad. We have to do stuff like that as it people. It is sad. It sucks, but. It is what it is. Gotta stay vigilant. Yep, always. Always Gotta vigilant. protect each other. So, yeah, if interested, send your questions, murdernerds at gmail.com. Yeah, I'm curious what the... Yeah, yeah, that might be fun. What the people out there have to ask. So, this week, I'm covering a case that I found out about probably close to six years ago. I found it while looking for spooky stuff within Indiana. And, wow, is it a ride. And I know it's one that you know, because we've talked about it before. Really? Yeah. But I got whiplash reading about it for the first time. And my opinions about who the problem was in the tale switched back and forth. And you'll see what I mean when we get into the meat of the story. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to say that there is so much information and a lot of it overlaps one another. I've done my absolute best to cross all of my sources. I've patchworked and Frankensteined it together as best as I possibly could to make it all make sense and flow. Because some sources just... They were all over the place, and some of them were the most reliable with information. And if you think I've messed up somewhere, like you know this case, and you want to fact check me, just call me out. It's fine, and I will correct it at the beginning of a future episode. This is the story of Belle Gunness. Not ringing a bell. Oh my god, I didn't even mean to do that. God, I love puns. I didn't even mean to do that. You don't know the story of Belganis. I'm sure maybe once you get into it, I might, but the name does not sound familiar. Jeremy, do you know the story at all? No. Oh my gosh. You guys are ready for a ride then because. So, Brynhild, Paul's daughter, Stortzi. Can you repeat that? Yeah, what does that mean? (laughs) Brynhild, Paul's daughter, Stortzi, more commonly known as Belganis, which I will refer to her as Bell throughout the story, was born in November of 1859. 
I've seen conflicting dates of her actual birth. It's either the 11th or the 22nd, but it's definitely in November of 1859. She was born in the very small, poor village of Selbu, Norway, to Norwegian natives Paul Petersen. It's, it's our people. It's our peoples, oh, our Scandinavians. Yes. And Berit Olsdatter. Notice the traditional Norse son daughter naming Paul or Bell was Paul's daughter, Paul's daughter. Paul was Peterson, Peter's son, Peterson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Berit was Ol's daughter. Ol's daughter. I just think that's fun. I yeah, just that think is. that's a fun little quirky thing. That is thing. fun. And it's like uh, like obvious. Yeah. I yeah. think it's neat. So Bell was the youngest of eight children, and I don't know what it is about the youngest children in families. But I'm convinced they're just a whole other breed of people. And that's no offense to the youngest in the family. As a mother of four, and I have a wild youngest, I just think there's something about these <laughs> the youngest. There's something in birth order. Mm-hmm. So Belle's family was extremely poor. And with eight kids, there's no doubts about that. At 14, Belle was conferred at the Evan- Evangelical Lutheran Church. I'm not religious and definitely not aware of religious traditions of the 1800s, so I started looking into them. And being confirmed apparently is something that happens when you're a preteen or a teenager. From my little bit of research, it seems like this was kind of like a ceremony to prove your growth since baptism. Like a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah? Yes, kind of, of, or like a quinceanera. 16, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. So you... Basically, when you're confirmed, you understand the Bible, you've promised your spirituality to God, your parents, your congregation. It's like a rite of passage. And from my understanding of this time, it was kind of like your transformation from child to adult. Shortly after her confirmation, Belle started working at local farms as a milkmaid and cattle herder to earn money for her family. And she also saved up money for her own dream. Belle's dream was to come to the United States and discover wealth and happiness, however she could obtain it. When Belle was 18 years old, while at a dance, she was attacked by a well-known and wealthy man within the community. Belle was pregnant at the time, and the man had kicked her so hard during the attack that he caused her to miscarry. How old was she? She was 18. Mm. Yeah. The man was never arrested for what he did to Belle because of who he was and his status, and after that, she became cold, distant, and emotionless. Understandable. In my opinion, Belle probably could have easily kicked his ass. And I say that because she was over six feet tall and 265 pounds. Hell yeah. Yeah. She could have done it. But women really didn't have rights and were considered less than men. So she probably would have gotten some serious legal trouble for decimating him physically like I know she could have. Well, yeah, and they're, you're trained in obedience. Like, you're just, you're... Absolutely. Mm-hmm. She you was already... place. Yes, and she time. was already a bigger woman. She was already sticking out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. She probably didn't want to draw any more attention to herself. That's really sad. Yeah, it's awful. Um, and she, she was poor and he was wealthy, so yeah. nobody would have believed her. In 1881, at 21 years old, Belle saved up enough money and boarded a ship set to travel to New York City. When she arrived, she was processed at Castle Green in Manhattan, which was the very first American immigration station, being established even before Ellis Island. At Castle Green, this is where she changed her name from Brynhild to Belle. And I've talked about this in a past episode. Mm -hmm. This was extremely common for immigrants to do. They often change their names to either fit in with Americans or make it easier for Americans to pronounce. It's still a pretty common practice even today. Mm -hmm. 
Bell's sister, Nellie Larson, had already immigrated to the United States seven years prior. She had married and was established in Chicago, Illinois. So Bell traveled to Chicago to live with her sister and brother-in-law. She took up work as a domestic servant for wealthy Chicagoans, and the work was really hard for her. The hours were around the clock, and she rarely had days off and definitely no vacation time. But what really upset Belle was the pay. She made pennies, just enough to survive. And that wasn't good enough for her. She wanted to be just like the people she was working for. She strived for the lifestyle of the well-off aristocrats. She quit her job as a maid and instead found work making a bit more money at a butcher shop cutting animal carcasses. But this job was still not enough for Belle. Her sister Nellie is quoted as saying, Belle was crazy for money. It was her great weakness. In 1884, three years after arriving in the United States, Belle found and married a suitor to help her obtain her goals, including buying a home. He was a Norwegian man named Mads Sorison. Mads was a Chicago department store detective. Do you know what a department... <laughs> I just saw Jeremy's face. Do you know what a department store detective is? is Absolutely it, is not. Is it like asset protection today? Yes, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Okay. It sounds like a cheap detective by the a department oh, store detective. Oh, like a generic detective yeah. also. <laughs> that's, that's what so it funny. sounds like to me. Um, so a department store detective is basically loss prevention. They would wander around department stores looking for people who were stealing goods. This still wasn't enough for Belle. After they married, she convinced him to leave that job and work for the Chicago Northwestern Railroad. Mads earned 12 to $15 per week which would roughly translate to around 370 to 480 US dollars in 2022. Around this time, since they apparently couldn't have children, they began fostering orphans. They adopted a newborn daughter named Caroline in 1885. But yet again, Belle was not satisfied. This amount could never fuel the lifestyle that she wanted. I don't think that amount can fuel any lifestyle, especially with a child. That's yeah, just not enough no. money. If someone cannot live off of 300 to 400 I mean, I guess you can. It's possible. Well, that's what he was making. Was she still working or was she now a stay-at-home mom? I don't know. Okay. That's a good question. Hmm. I mean, even so, with two incomes, 400 $300, $400 a that's week. That's not much. No, no, especially not. today, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In 1886, Caroline died from suspected acute colitis, which is an inflammation of the lining of the colon. So she wasn't even a year old at that point, maybe a year old. Symptoms of acute colitis include intense abdominal pain, weight loss, diarrhea, vomiting, blood in the stool, and vomit. You know what else has these exact same symptoms? Consumption. Poisoning. Oh, no. Ironically enough... Bell and Mads had a hefty life insurance plan taken out on Caroline as soon as they got her, which they were able to collect after she died. So in 1886, they took that insurance payout from Caroline's death, and Bell and Mads started their own candy shop right in the heart of downtown Chicago. Bell expected it to be a hit due to the rapid growth and expansion of Chicago during the late 1800s, but business was slow and didn't take off as quickly as expected. Considering how ritzy Chicago was at the time, I wonder if it was due to poor business management. Less mm, cheap ingredients. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Less than one year of opening, the candy shop mysteriously burned to the ground. Oh, let me guess. There was a big insurance policy on the candy shop. 
Maybe. Okay. (laughs) Bell told the insurance company that the only cause could be a kerosene lamp that must have exploded within the building and subsequently started the fire. The insurance company didn't argue and paid her a healthy stipend, even though no lamp was ever found in the rubble left from the building. To add insult to injury, the home that Bell and Mads bought together at the beginning of their marriage also burned down. Weird. Mm-hmm. Weird how this just there's just like a flame that keeps following her around. Bell and Mads took the money from the insurance claims and moved to Austin, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago, where they purchased a new home. In 1897, they welcomed another adopted daughter, Murder, mur, murder, murder, Myrtle. Is it Myrtle? <laughs> it's Myrtle. Myrtle Adolphine. In 1898, they adopted another daughter named Lucy B. I'm not sure if they were twins or maybe just two separate foster adoptions within the same year, but they also welcomed a newborn son in 1898. All, all adopted. All adopted. Okay. His name was. It was reported as both Axel and Alex, so I'm unsure of what it is, but Axel sounds way cooler, in my opinion, and mm-hmm. was listed more, so we'll just call him Axel. Yeah, welcome I bet to the, the Alex one was a typo that they just didn't catch. Maybe. But it, well, my source for Alex was the Laporte Library that got all of their information from the Belgunis Museum, mm, okay. so I don't know. I don't know about that, but Axel sounds cooler, so we're going to just say Axel. I like that. Ironically, again, Axel died in early infancy due to acute colitis, the oh, same God. exact condition Bell's first daughter had passed away from. And once again, Bell and Mads had taken out a large life insurance policy out on Axel, which they were able to collect. Did you look up how common acute colitis was in, in infants at that time? Mm-mm, I did not do that. I should have done that. Though. Well, I mean, two in a row. That's... Yeah. A little suspicious. And knowing that they were both not the parents. Yeah, no biological connection. Yeah, there couldn't be anything that was hereditary. I don't know. Maybe it was due to baby formula. Maybe that was common because of how they fed babies. I I don't even think there was baby formula at this point, but how they fed babies since she couldn't produce milk easily. What would you give give a baby? Probably cow's milk. Yeah. A dried cow's milk you're or not, something. You're not opposed to do that, are you? No. <laughs> I didn't no. think so. It's too harsh. They can't So, yeah, that, I could lactose. see that causing like an intestinal issue. Yeah. So, it might have been a very common thing, especially in foster, mm-hmm. abandoned, orphan children. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now I got a lot more to research after this. <laughs> the mysteries don't slow down here. The same year Axel died in 1898. The home Bell and Mads bought in Austin burned to the ground. Oh, my God. This time, the insurance company grew really suspicious when the the cause of the fire was undetermined, but they also couldn't prove fraud, so they were forced to pay out the insurance claim. In 1890, Bell and Mads either adopted or fostered a young girl named Jenny. It's unclear because some sites had stated that her last name was Olson, while others stated that it was Mads and Bell's last name, Sorensen. So some sites stated that she was a ward of the state, so that I don't really know. That same year, on July 30th, 1890, Mads suddenly died. I know. (laughs) Ashley's got this, like, surprise look on her face. Bell told detectives that Mads came home from work with a horrible headache. 
She gave him some quinine powder and water to help with his pain, had him lay down, and when she went back several hours later to check on him, he was dead. Some reports say that he died from a cerebral hemorrhage, or cerebral, excuse me, cerebral hemorrhage, cerebral, wow. Some say that, some say an enlarged heart, which had been treated already by his doctor, the detectives were suspicious that Bell had a hand in his death because he was showing symptoms of poisoning, but an autopsy was never performed. Of course not. Right. I wonder if he wasn't privy to what was happening before that. Yeah, he was starting to give me... Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe he okay, started one baby dead. things and she was Understandable. Like, oh, okay. Two babies dead. Mm-hmm. Three mm-hmm. houses Larry. burned down. But he could have been in on it. Yeah, I mean, it could go either way, but... Hmm. Yeah. Very fishy. So I read up on what quinine was because I really didn't have an idea. I had never heard of it before. It was considered the go-to in Gregorian times and suspected to have anti-inflammatory properties. Today, it's used to cure malaria, but it's given really seldomly because it can cause heart rate problems. He already had an enlarged heart, and it can also cause hypoglycemia, which is huge drops of sugar in your blood, or huge drops in blood sugar. So maybe he had a possible stroke due to too much quinine powder and rapid loss of blood sugar. So I'm sure you're wondering, due to the pattern of Bell's past, did she get an insurance payout for Mad's death? Yes. I wrote that down. Did you write that down? So funny story. Uh, Mads had taken out a life insurance plan on himself and then switched companies to get a bigger life insurance insurance payout. There was one day where those plans overlapped, switching from the first plan to the second. Double. And that day was July 30th, 1890, the exact day Mads mysteriously died. So Bell was able to collect the expiring plan and the plan that was going into effect that day on her husband. She was paid a total between five thousand and eight thousand U.S. dollars, which in twenty twenty two, oh my god, is between one billion dollars. Uh, <laughs> one billion dollars yes. is between one hundred and fifty six thousand and two hundred and fifty thousand U.S. dollars. Okay, well that's less than I thought, but still that's still a, that's hefty, a lot of money. A hefty man. All right, so while we're talking about money and insurance policies, do we have numbers on all the insurance policies she collected over this time period? I do not have okay. all those. No. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. 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 So Belle took that money, along with her two daughters and Jenny, her ward of the state, and moved to LaPorte, Indiana. There she purchased a historic farm on the outskirts of town. Some interesting facts about that home she purchased. It was originally built in 1846 for the daughter of Laporte's mayor, John Walker. And then 28 years later, in 1892, it was bought by a Chicago Chicago madam whose name was Maddie Altick. She added a carriage house and a boat pavilion to the home. It was a really popular spot, for obvious reasons, and most of her clientele were rich men out of Chicago. Maddie eventually died, and the house went through several owners over the course of eight years until Belle purchased it. Now, you say most of her clients. Is that, like, carriage house, so she, like, rented it out? I don't know what... She was a madam? Oh! Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, I was, like, I was like thinking, like, madam. Mm-hmm. Oh. No, 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 no. A madam. Oh, got you. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's okay. why I said uh, it was a popular spot for... 
oh, obvious wink, wink, wink reasons. Wink, I was like, wink, oh, wink. it must have been a beautiful property. <laughs> so stupid. Okay, thank you. Shortly after Belle moved in, another fire arose in her life. The fire took down both the pavilion and the carriage house Maddie had built. It's not stated whether she was able to get an insurance payout on these two things, but it's suspected. Obviously. I would assume that she wouldn't have burnt it down if she wasn't going to get one. Well, No, that's allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Apparently, she didn't like either of the structures and thought, well, I can just burn them down and get paid for it. On April 1st, 1902, Belle married her second husband, Peter Gunnis. Peter was a widower with a young adolescent daughter and an infant daughter. Within one week of their marriage, Peter left his baby daughter alone in the care of Belle while he left the home. When he came back, the baby had died, and there was no cause of death. Tragic. Tragic AF. The following fall of 1902, Belle discovered that she was pregnant. At five months pregnant in December, Peter suddenly died. When the coroner arrived on scene, Belle stated it was a complete and total freak accident. Peter had been reaching for something on the top shelf in the kitchen, and a meat grinder had fallen on his head. This resulted in a fatal head injury. The coroner wasn't convinced Belle was being truthful. He convened coroner's jury on the suspicions of foul play. Law enforcement questioned the neighbors, who also thought that Belle was the cause of Peter's death. Somehow, Belle was able to convince the detectives on the case that it was completely accidental. I was going to ask, I wonder, like, how people perceived her, like, day to day, the people who interacted with her. Like, was she charming or was she, did she come off, like, kind of, oh, like, kind of crazy, you know? She seems like she was a very charming so she person. she was manipulative and that's, that's she why knew exactly she could get away with exactly how to work it. people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, for Peter's death, Belle was able to collect $3,000 in insurance money, which translates to uh, 97000 U.S. dollars today. After the case had been settled as an accident, one of Belle's daughters had told a friend of hers that Mama brained Papa with a meat cleaver. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, I don't know what happened to his older daughter. She just kind of disappeared. Oh, like you don't know if she went into the system? Or... Yeah, I don't know if... She's not mentioned again in Belle's She's story. never mentioned again. So Belle obviously didn't have her then. Yeah. Well, wow. thank God. Oh, no. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. In the spring of 1903, Belle and Peter's only child together, Philip, was born. Belle was able to keep the farm running by hiring random farmhands to help with the work. By 1905, Belle began purchasing marriage ads in various Chicago newspapers and Scandinavian-aimed newspapers around the country. This wasn't an uncommon thing, especially for widows and widowers at this time, because it's kind of like Tinder now. Essentially. Yeah, like the what's that personal connection? What's the thing in the newspaper that still happens today? People still do it today. Misconnections? Yes. No, not misconnections. It's, it's like the if you like being young, intimate connections. I don't know. What is it called? Do you know? Do you know what it's called? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I, I just think of per- Mad personal, TV. Personal ads. Oh, God, do you I remember Mad TV when they had the lowered expectations? Oh, my God. I where they did the video it. dating. <laughs> yes. I love Mad TV. Me too. Okay, sorry. That was off topic. (laughs) We're off in every direction. So her ads were quite enticing. They often included what a beautiful home she had, located in a secure area, and she had a successful and valuable farm. She stated she was looking for a good, reliable partner. She would also add, 
some little cash is required for which will be furnished with first-class security. What single man wouldn't look at that ad and be smitten by wealth and security from a wife? Whenever she would get a response, she would flood them with promises of love and affection. She would beg them to sell everything they owned and move in with her. One of the first men to respond to Belle, one of the first known men to Mm -hmm. respond to Belle, was Henry Gerholt. Henry was a Wisconsin farmhand who traveled to Laporte to be with Belle. When he arrived on her farm, he wrote to his family stating he liked the farm, he was in good health, and also to send back potato seeds to plant on the farm. (laughs) The family did as asked, but never heard anything back from Henry as time went on. They became worried and contacted Belle herself. She stated Henry had left her. He took off to Chicago to join horse traders. But she kept some of his things, including his fur overcoat and large wooden trunk. He was in it. He was in the trunk. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about the story. <laughs> By 1906, people had noticed that the girl Belle was fostering, Jenny, had disappeared. Several of Jenny's school friends asked what had happened to her, and Belle told them that Jenny had moved out. She stated she was attending a Lutheran college far away in California, and no one questioned it. Another one of her known gentleman callers was also in 1906. His name was John Moe. After several months of writing letters back and forth, John came down from Minnesota to live with Belle and her family. Before he went to Belle's home, though, he went into Laporte and took out a large sum of cash. No one ever saw John again. The only piece of John that they knew remained of him was a trunk. A carpenter who Belle would hire on occasion came to her home to do some work. He noticed long after John had been gone that his trunk was still there. It was one of more than a dozen trunks that Belle kept in her home. Trophies. Trophies. Oh. <laughs> Around the time she asked John to move in to, in, move to Indiana, Belle hired Ray Lampier to work on her farm as a permanent farmhand. Although they were known to have an on-again, off-again romantic relationship, Ray was the only man that Belle seemed to trust and keep around. Neighbors began to catch on to the amount of visitors coming to Belle's home, and rumors started spreading. They noticed each one was a middle-aged man, always alone, bringing tons of luggage when they would arrive, then they would never leave. When they confronted Belle about it, Belle would state each one would unexpectedly have to go back home in the middle of the night. And to me, this is so Midwest, because no one pushed it further. No one asked questions, they just let it be what Mm -hmm. it was. Mind your own. Because it wasn't their business. Mm -hmm. And no matter if they thought it was questionable or suspicious or not, they still didn't talk about it anymore. In early 1908, Belle fired Ray Lampier. She stated he was insane and was obsessed with her. He wouldn't leave her alone, and any time he saw a man at her home, he would start making a huge scene and harass Belle and her male vic- I mean visitors. <laughs> After she fired Ray... She went to the courthouse to tell them, quote, Ray is not right in his mind. She pressed authorities to hold a sanity hearing, which I guess was a thing at one point. The court established that he was of sound mind, but two days later, he was arrested for trespassing on top or onto Bell's farm. 
Belle went to her attorney, hoping to get some help because Ray was making threats towards her and continuously harassing her, but was in the right side of the law when doing so. She made the comment that she was growing more and more scared of Ray. Now, are you going to get into his specific harassment? Because I almost feel like he knew what was happening and he was probably getting on her shit about it. Or was... Okay. Oh, you got the look. (laughs) I'll shut up. I'm sorry. You got the look. You'll find out more about Ray. Okay. April of 1908, Bell's farmhouse went up in flames. And with (laughs) no way to put out the fire, law enforcement could only assess the victims, if any, once the fire had died out. As they began to comb through the remains of Bell's once beautiful farm home, they found the bodies of three children, identified as Bell's children, and also the body of a woman, identified as Bell. And the body was decapitated. Once the news of the death of Bell and her children started spreading, a man named Asel Helgeline contacted Laporte police. He had found letters from Bell to his brother, Andrew Helgeline, begging him to sell everything he had and marry her. One of the last letters sent to him read, But, my dear, do not say anything about coming here. Now sell all that you can get cash for, and if you have much left, you can easily bring it with you, as we will soon sell it here and get a good price for everything. Leave neither money or stock up there, but make yourself practically free from Dakota. Andrew had been missing for quite some time, and it seems he did exactly what Bell asked him to do. Asel decided to come to Laporte to search for his missing brother now that he had an idea of where Andrew could have gone. Along with his own search, he was able to make contact with one of Bell's former farmhands to tour him around the Gunnis land. During their investigation of the land, they found an area that was turned into a hog pen. As they looked at the ground within the hog pen, they found areas that were odd, weird depressions in the soil that were a lot softer than the grounds around them. Asel and the farmhand decided to dig into the depressions to see if they could find anything of relevance. First, they found heaps of trash. During this time, most people took their trash to random areas on their land and they just buried it. But to their surprise, they also found a burlap sack. After pulling the sack from the earth and opening it, they were met with a grisly discovery. Inside the bag contained two severed hands, two severed feet, and a severed head. Immediately, Asel recognized the head as being that of his own brother, Andrew. They contacted authorities, and the rest of the farmland was searched for the same slumping parts of ground. There were dozens and dozens of them, and each one they began to dig up. Once again, first all they would find was trash, but under the piles of trash were the same burlap sacks they found Andrew in. Each sack contained decapitated human remains, Hands, feet, torsos, arms, legs, all cut up and crushed bones dripping with thick jelly-like human flesh. It looked as if whoever dismembered these bodies tried to crush the bones with a hammer to break down the bones and compact the remains. That's fucking brutal. Yep. Oh. The skulls were examined and each one they found the same suspected cause of death. Huge gashes that indicated blunt force trauma. The skulls and what remained of their bodies had been covered in quicklime, and it had been stuffed in their mouths, their ears, and in their eyes. For two days, authorities searched the large plot of land owned by Belgunis. Five bodies on the first, six on the second. They were found anywhere they could be buried. The hog pen, by the lake, by the outhouse, 
police stopped counting the holes they were digging. She didn't have hogs, did she? Were there hogs there? I think there was hogs there. I was going to say, won't they just eat everything but the teeth? Yes, that's always my assumption. Yeah, she should have just fed them. I mean, okay, sorry. I I thought that was worth asking. When word was released that Belle had died in a fire with her children, the community was heartbroken and saddened by the loss. It was originally perceived as tragic and senseless. But now that it was coming to light that all of these bodies were being discovered on her property, everyone's views took a sharp 180. Droves of families with missing men came to the police hoping just maybe they had found their loved one. Unfortunately, the bodies were so badly dismembered and destroyed, the pieces mixed around in sacks, and the decomposition was so severe, most men couldn't be properly identified. In November, six months after the fire at the Gunnis Farm, remember our friend Ray Lamphere? I do. He was convicted of arson. When he was arrested, he was wearing the wristwatch that once belonged to John Moe and the fur overcoat that once belonged to Henry Gulhert. In December of 1909, Ray contracted tuberculosis. On his deathbed, he confessed everything about Belle. The newspaper ads she took out looking for husbands and male companionship, but really she was just wanting them to come to her home so that she could murder them and rob them of every cent that they had. He recalled that she had killed 42 different men over her entire spree. Ray also said that Belle asked him to burn down the house with her own children inside after she murdered them and staged the bodies to look accidental. Belle wasn't dead, but the body that they assumed was hers was a woman from Chicago Belle had hired as a live-in maid just a few days before the fire. I knew it! (laughs) She did all of this to mislead investigators and dragged Ray along with her. Belle had heard from Asil that he would be coming to find his brother after finding her letters within his brother's things. So she knew she needed to come up with a quick plan. According to Ray, this had motivated Belle enough to kill her own children, kill a random maid, fake her own death, and leave town. He had stated he took Belle to Stillwell, right outside of Laporte, where she caught a train to Chicago. He also swore he never helped Belle kill any of her victims, but he and one unnamed accomplice did help cover the crimes and hide the bodies. After Ray's death, Journalist Edward Belchie had found out secret information that there was a written confession from Ray of what actually happened to Bell. Ray had confessed what had happened to Reverend Edwin Shell during his Sunday confessional. Edwin had written everything down, as Ray told him. Then at the end, had Ray sign it. I couldn't find out exactly how long Edwin had this confession for, but it was locked away in his personal safe when Edward Belchie asked him for it, which I think is just so weird. <laughs> Like, why Why would you keep it well, in your personal okay. safe? Well, okay, so when you are in confessions, they, they're not supposed to ever tell anybody. But he had the foresight, I'm going to save this confession uh, okay. for when I need it. And I think that that, yeah, that was smart. That is pretty smart. Mm-hmm. Edwin and his wife both refused to hand over the confession because they did not want it published within the paper. And once word got around that there was a written confession by Ray and not just a hearsay deathbed confession, a different newspaper wrote an article concerning the families that Bell was still out there wandering. Apparently, guilt had got the best of Edwin because he ended up contacting Edward and offering the written confession over to him. He accepted, published it as Lanfear's confession, and here's a small excerpt. 
Oh. <laughs> Are you ready for this? In the confession, Lamphere said that he had killed Miskanis and children with an axe, sprinkled the bodies with kerosene, and set fire to them and the house. It gave details of the slaying and told and told of his part in the former murders which occurred at the Gunnis farm, his task usually being the burying of the bodies in the garden. The essential fact, however, was that the murderess was not alive as a fugitive. He also stated the name of his accomplice, Elizabeth Smith, who was later arrested. I feel your whiplash. Yeah, right? I feel it. The woman found deceased inside of the Gunnis farm home was officially declared as Belle Gunnis. But... The doctor who performed the autopsy on Bell stated that the woman found was five inches shorter than Bell and at least 50 pounds less than Bell, which, come on, she was missing a head. Of course, she was a minimum five inches shorter than Bell. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad joke. <laughs> no, that was a good joke. We'll never truly know if Bell burned away in that house or if she did escape all of her crimes. The sheriff overseeing the case believes the escape story was all a dramatic ruse by newspapers. But for several years, many people believed that they saw Belle, most predominantly in Chicago. Yeah, because she stood out. She was so tall and bulky. Mm -hmm. Oh my On April 29th, 1908, several train workers reported that they had seen Belle getting on and off several trains to Chicago. On May 8th, 1908, a woman who fit Belle's exact description was pulled off of a train and arrested. She was detained until she could prove that she wasn't Belle. The reports were taken seriously by police, but none panned out and all could be discredited. Except for one. A woman going by Esther Carlson was arrested for murdering August... <laughs> Your face right now, I'm sorry. Dude, I cannot handle this. Where do you find these bomb cases? I don't understand. She was arrested for murdering August Lindstorm in 1931 in Los Angeles, California. Esther was taking care of the man and decided to murder and rob him for $2,000. Before her trial and before her identity could be proven, Esther died in prison. Although I'm unsure how, but two residents of LaPorte, Indiana, viewed Esther's body while it was in the morgue, and they swore it was the body of Belle Gunness. Recently, DNA analysis was performed on what was left of the headless corpse, but reports came back inconclusive. Yeah, that's a long time. That's a long time. They they kept it that long. Mm -hmm. Well, wow. they probably dug it up wherever it was. Oh. They zoomed it. After the murders, Bell's Farm became a huge tourist attraction. People came from all over the country to witness the murder farm for themselves. Con concession food and souvenirs were even sold. Now, I couldn't find if the original farm and home was still standing. All I could find concerning the Gunness Farm was a graveyard ironically, and a wooded area. The Port County Museum does have a permanent exhibit about Bell Gunness, and I think a little day trip to go visit might not be a bad idea. There have been two murder ballads written about Bell, and even a movie that came out in July of 2021, which was filmed in LaPorte. So before we talk about theories, I just want to provide my sources real quick. Whoa! Stop! <laughs> what I know, I have the... You, you okay. just, <laughs> yes, let us talk. I want to go there. Yes, yes, of course. I might even go there with you on that yeah, one. We yeah, should, they yeah. Could take, sure. we could do it for the Golden Image Podcast. We could. Laporte is not that far. What's the movie? Yeah. Uh, I think it's called The Farm. Was it like uh, a major motion It had picture? a couple pretty famous actors in it. I can't really? remember their names. And yeah. it was just... Uh, just last summer. 
Mm-hmm. Why didn't it we know released. about that? That would be cool to be like an extra in a movie. That would be cool. That's on my bucket list. It's on mine too. Fun fact, if you don't mind, I was actually in, not in a movie, but I filmed with a friend oh, in yeah. a movie, and but they cut my scene. She was supposed to kill me, but I think they cut we my talk, scene. Yeah, we talked about that. It was with uh, your friend Stephanie. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay, so before we talk about theories, I just want to provide my sources real quick. Uh, my sources are an article by QZ.com, Wikipedia, The Washington Post, and LaporteLibrary.org. Dar- Org, which had a lot of information, obviously, because Laporte is where Belle Gunness did all her crimes, well, most of her crimes. So she's kind of like their anti-hero, yeah. <laughs> their villain, mm-hmm. their town villain. They're, I want to say proud of, but I you said this inf- infamy. I mean, yeah, you, in you general. said it earlier. You said the, something about the museum, the Bell Museum. I'm like, wait, there's a museum for this? Yeah, there's the Laporte County uh, Museum has an entire so exhibit for her. Too. We can go yeah. there too. It's the museum. That's the only thing that's there. Oh, it's on the property. Yeah. Okay. Yes, the exhibits in okay. the Laporte yeah. County okay. Museum. All right, so t- let's talk about this case and the possible theories. Could this been a case of constant misfortune on Bell's half? Could the baby babies truly have died accidentally? Her husbands died accidentally or untimely, and once Bell started trying to find a new partner in her life, Ray flipped out and killed each one of them. <gasps> That's why she was being honest and said that they did just leave in the middle of the night. She didn't know what was going on. She had low self-esteem because she was this larger woman. What if Ray actually was murdering these men? That did not even cross my mind. No, me neither. Yeah, and then so then he would have murdered her in the end because he couldn't have her. What if the first one did actually leave? Because they're meeting each other for the first time. Yeah. You know, they just had these letters back and forth. I don't think they were, you know, sending a picture was a very common thing. And once they got there, they're like, oh, no. I don't know if I want to. Like she's her, way which is taller than me. So awful to yeah. <laughs> we stand a short. Me. We stand a short king, Ashley. We stand a short king. <laughs> but honestly, maybe the first one did run off to Chicago and and joined horse herders. So she was being. Oh my god! But then after the second one that is known, it she hired Ray, and then he fell in love with her. And they kind of had a thing at first anyway, and then he just she continued kept, to kill them. She kept bringing them. in all these suitors, mm-hmm. and he was like, But that I'm doesn't right explain here. Jenny. That doesn't explain um, Yeah, it her, doesn't explain the children. Yes, Peter's daughter. I don't know what happened to Peter's daughter. I would assume since there's all these mismatched bodies in these bags that maybe she's out there with one of those bags. Wow. Well, you think they would have been able to tell if one was a child. If it was so decomposed, though. I mean, years of decomp- decomposition with quicklime on top of it, mm-hmm. and the bones just completely destroyed. Like, and didn't you say that Jenny was a little bit older when they got when they got together? Wasn't she like fourteen or something like that? Uh, yes, I believe. Yeah, she so was. I mean, she the, was in college by the time that yeah. she had moved. Oh, to Indiana. so she was an adult. Yeah, yeah, but so oh, they okay. could tell if it was a younger right. woman or even the little the little girl, the daughter of Peter. They could tell, right. I'm sure, but since the bodies were just so well, mutilated. it all chopped up, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Or was she a stone-cold killer that she was always assumed to be? Did she really get away? Or did Ray snap and just murder her and her children? They are both such good theories. Everything, there's so much whiplash, like I said, in this case. Like, you think you know who did it. You think you know 
Like it was Belle. It was Ray. It yeah, was, I'm yeah. like literally speechless. I never, I never even put Ray into that situation. I thought the whole time it was her. It just made sense that mm-hmm. it was her. I mean, going all the way back to you said it. She was after she miscarried the first baby. She, she became was cold. cold and hardened, and she had a goal of money. Mm-hmm. Period. Yep. I never. Even yeah, put the other guy that's in kind of a big. That's a big tell right there. That, but that like we said, maybe those maybe those infants did die because of uh, something that was common. I'm gonna have to look that up because now I, I'm really curious. Because okay, we're gonna get into breastfeeding. You can <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> you can stimulate you can stimulate milk production within a, a woman. You can even do it with a man, but within a woman, um, if they <laughs> with enough pumping or suckling on a breast. Right. But sometimes that doesn't happen. So sometimes they hire in a wet nurse or sometimes they give them, they can give them like goat's milk or it's usually cow's milk and it's too hard on an infant system. So that's why a lot of infants died. From, yeah, they can't well, digest that. Right. Yes, lactose sugar is, is hard for them to digest. So maybe this was a common thing where the the lining mm-hmm. of their intestines did get inflamed because they couldn't digest it properly. So okay, what if this? What if all of the children dying was a series of unfortunate events and all the men dying was her doing? Maybe. There's so many possibilities. Yeah, you Oh my god. Yep. What a roller coaster. Or maybe just her two husbands accidentally died. But then all these men kept getting killed by Ray. I don't even know. I I am literally speechless. There's so much to to think about. That I don't I don't I even. Got, I got nothing. My, yeah, that it, it could go one. There's a lot of documentaries about her, like that goes like super in depth about her life. Um, so maybe, did you watch any of them? I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't. You, have you did time. all literature. Look at you. I always you scholar do. Scholar, you. Except so, I do time. too. I, I use YouTube, but did she get the Black Widow name? She did have the yes. Black Widow. She did. And Hell's Bell. That was another one. Oh, was she true. one of the first? Yes. To get that name. Well, and okay, so there's like this controversy, and I had this big thing written out in the beginning about like why why when we hear about women killers is it such a like startling. It's almost more acceptable to hear a killer and you assume it's a man. Yeah, because it's uncommon. Because women rock and men suck. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which 90% of murderers, or 90% of people who kill are men. But there's more like specialized like showing and books, show, excuse me, shows, books, movies, where it's like women's women. Who, women who kill or... You know, yeah, wives who kill. It's like more taboo. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's, why is that? Because it's been ingrained into us that men are harder. I mean, all men, it was like all men who like started wars. Expected. Yes, because, you, you know, our lizard brain is like hunter, nurture, you know, when it comes to binary gender roles. So when we hear of a woman killer, it's almost like, doesn't feel right. It's. Because your your mother is your nurturer, your your giver, your and I just thought that was interesting because if this was a man, would we feel the same way about Belle? If Belle was it, it, it we wouldn't we wouldn't because it's you not hear, shocking. No, it's not because it's been done. It's been done a million times over, yep. and it's only been done you know 
a percentage of that yeah. over in the female And there's side. a lot of talk, like, you know, online and within true crime communities and history. Who was the first woman serial killer? And there's she's definitely in the top ten of, of first uh, Documented, known, yeah. Yes, first known woman serial killers. If she so, did it. If she did if it. If she did it. Well, as you were as you were telling your story, I guess my thought process was, um, and I'm you know once again I'm not really considering her being a what do you say six foot? She was over six foot tall. Six yeah. foot tall and a, and and let's just say big bone. She's a big girl. Yeah. I guess I didn't really. I guess I didn't didn't really see it that way. <clears throat> For some reason, I got her as kind of a petite girl, but in my brain, which obviously is not right. So I'm thinking about how would she kill them? I mean, like you said, it's blunt force trauma. Is she coming from behind? Are these guys just not very strong? Are they well, their guard weak is down. Or? It's a, it's yeah. just a woman. Well, and she's not, just a woman. Yeah. It this way. Yeah. doesn't matter how tall she is. They're obedient. Yeah. They, Think of her second job. She was a butcher. She was a butcher. Yeah. She dismembered the carcasses of the animals at the butcher oh, shop. Nice. Where were you on that one? So, yeah. <laughs> she... So that's another thing you have to take into consideration. She was a big woman. She she lifted all those pig she carcasses. Could pick up the... Yeah, she worked as basically a farmhand at her first job when she was just fourteen years old. So, which she was a milkmaid, and then she was a cow, a cattle herder. So it's like that could she had to be strong, you. lady. Well, wait, when did she start working as a butcher? It was when she moved to the United States, so she was about 21, okay. 22. Well, because even working on a farm, knowing, I guess if it was a dairy farm, then no, that wouldn't desensitize you. Because they're not going off to slaughter. I mean, she could have. She could. It could have been a dairy slash uh, a meat like farm. meat farm, yeah. But she did get a skill. She yeah. did get that skill on how to uh, cut stuff up. Exactly. She dismembered the corpses of the animals that, at the butcher shop. Damn. So it's like... I don't know. I see it from all ways. There, yeah. I have no one theory that I'm Mm-mm. like, that's it. Could she have murdered at least one of them? Well, Probably. and all the theories are so fluid. They all could interlock and be each a piece of each theory yes. could be correct. Well, and I think it's odd that she never murdered Ray, even though he was harassing her. Yeah, like her. get him out of her way. You're right. Because if she he was causing her trouble, him. you think she would kill him. Yep. And she'd be at that oh point if she God. did murder all of them. She was a very skilled murderess, as they like to call her. She knew what she was doing at that point. Why wouldn't she have killed Ray? When you look at it as a whole, it seems careless and obvious. But when it's happening over time, I guess yeah, it could be yeah, if you methodical and yeah, mm-hmm. and smart. Wow, crazy, right? And that's just a hop, skip, and a jump away at Laporte. Yeah, I want to go to. There. Yeah, I think we should do that we for do. Uh, yep. Golden Image. We should yeah. go review the let's do it. Let's the Port County Museum. I'd like oh that. <laughs> so we want to know your opinions about this case because there's so many options. Like Ashley said, you can pick and piece whatever. Yeah, you want you can to. Frankenstein them all together, like you said before. With- mm-hmm. So f- feel free to comment under the case files on our Instagram at MurdNerds, our Facebook, facebook.com slash MurdNerds. Send us a tweet on Twitter at Pod. I'm curious what other opinions there could be. Did we not say any? I, I don't know. There could be, if you know more information about Belle, maybe that I didn't find, and you have a totally different theory. 
And while you're at it, feel free to follow us on any of our social media pages. We make sure to keep you guys updated with what's going on with the podcast and always provide photos of the people and anything mentioned within each episode. We will also keep you updated about our future merch shop, which we are slowly but surely putting together. I promise. I'm sorry. I've had a lot of people ask me about when can we order merch. Every single day, people are constantly asking. As Jeremy's touching his uh, merch. And Ashley's touching their shirts on. They got their shirts on. And no one told me. One of you guys is going to have to change. Well, I. (laughs) (laughs) So please like and subscribe. Wherever you listen to our podcast, if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, please rate and review. It really does help us. It like boosts us up in the charts. It's the simple and quick and easy free thing that you can do, and it helps so much. It helps so much. And if you have any questions or concerns, please do not hesitate to message us on social media, social media or our email, murdernerds at gmail.com. Ashley and I Ashley or I will respond. Maybe both of us respond. Mm-hmm. We've done that the past couple weeks where we're both sending messages to somebody mm-hmm. back and forth. Mm-hmm. And we communicate so yeah, absolutely. About, about it. So hey, uh good job. You're such a you're so you're such a talented writer. And Thank you're a you. very good story storyteller. You always have been. Thank you. And I love how we both when we're talking Using our, our hands. Case, yes, you do it like this, like oh the delicious. I'm- and I <laughs> And I do it with my hand pointing down, like I'm... Conducting? Yes. Yes, I'm a conductor, and she is a chef. We need to start doing it like this. Like, who did this all the time? George Bush? Um, no, it was uh, Obama, wasn't Obama it? Obama did Didn't he? I can't wait I till we get know. these videos on YouTube so yeah. people can see the dumb things we keep doing. I know, because half the time, I won't even say a real sentence. I just say some words, and I make a motion. <laughs> yeah. And and you both know what I'm saying, yes. and I, I forget that I need to actually say the words. That's hilarious. Or at least describe what I'm doing. Uh, well, thank you guys for being my co-hosts and partners, and I appreciate another amazing, rubbing your minds together. Story, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was thank a good one. Thank you so much, and thank you all of our fellow Murd nerds for giving us a listen and the continuous support. We'll be seeing you again next week. Please stay safe out there. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.